Welcome back, everybody, to Whew. season two of uh, Stan Ontology. Damn, it's been a minute. So we are back for a second series of Stan Ontology. Mm-hmm. It's going to be wet and wild. It's going to be fun and funky. Um, the broad <laughs> thing is, we no longer. Well, we I say that um, we no longer need to like present a chronology. So instead, what we can do is go topic by topic, theme by theme, and be a bit more like analytic and you know nitty gritty about it. Yeah. Well, we also get to be a bit more. We get to pick things that are a little bit more like oh, here are things like broad trends we're interested in because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we went into season one very much thinking like, okay, this is going to be your crash course of why does K-pop sound the way it does and why is K-pop in the position that it's in? Yes. Now we get to talk about what those positions are and what those sounds are like. Indeed. Um, So yeah, obviously entirely colored and biased by what we care about and are interested in it and like, but you're along for the ride because we have good taste. Yeah. <laughs> I tried so. to agree and then I just started laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we should introduce ourselves and like... Yeah, hey, say people our may Twitter come at this... Yeah, God, people may be coming at this as their first entry into our podcast. So, hello everyone. My name is Michael. Pronouns they, them. I'm on Twitter, at Regression. Hello. I am Claudia. Pronouns she, her. Uh, find me on Twitter, at Claudia Low. And find the podcast Twitter at Stan Ontology. Hell yeah. Yeah. What we do here is we pick a track and we talk about it and break it apart and see how it works. And then figure out how it fits into the grand landscape of K-pop and what it can tell you, dear listener, about how to listen to cool music. And honestly, I personally will not be offended if... If your takeaway from this is like, wow, this track slaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes the track just simply slaps and that's okay too. But hopefully it slaps for reasons and we can talk about reasons. Um, I say this because I know we're going, we decided to start season two with a thing that we are both very familiar with and like a lot, but also is deeply confusing kind of by design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the nature of K-pop. Is like there is some amount of weirdness and estrangement built into the formula, and if you're at least intrigued enough to go along with it and stick around with it and see if you get on with it, that's a that's a cool starting point for us to to like shove in your face. Mm-hmm. So, what exactly have we got? We have the debut track of NCT, the SM Entertainment Group, The Seventh Sense. I have this listed in our I have this listed in our document as NCT brackets 127 slash U slash 2020 slash 2018 slash dream slash wavy Lamau close bracket. So what the fuck is an NCT? 
my goal is by the end of this introduction section, you will understand, if not what each of them are, perhaps why there are so many variations of this one quote-unquote NCT group idea project concept conceptual scheme yeah yeah so we have to go back to the early days of sm entertainment um where the company's creator creative visionary and namesake lisu man comes up with a sort of textbook for how to do k-pop how to market sell it produce it like create it from the ether and he calls this system cultural technology, which is the most brilliantly theory-ass name you could possibly imagine. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like Foucault should have coined it, but no, it was Lee Suman. Um, and what, what culture technology really means is that you... I like to think of it as like, oh, when you make these pop groups or entertainment groups, you want to be working with known quantities. This is the genesis of the trainee system. This is the idea that you should train up your performers to a certain standard of dance, singing ability, rapping ability. You should teach them how to behave on TV shows, media shows, etc. Um, there's more. I'm very tired, so I don't remember. <laughs> so yeah, just as but much like as it's a training... <laughs> just as much as it's a training system, it's this sort of like multi-dimensional program for how you take like those raw materials and like turn it into product which is to say kids who audition slash like get street cast which is a polite way of saying you walk up to a bunch of like adolescents after school and go hey kid you should audition Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah so like it comes from this lineage of like scout talent scouting and casting through this like intensive training and then like a production process that is just as like specific and programmatic which is like in this market, we should use these kinds of eyeshadows or these kinds of beats or these kinds of uh, music video aesthetics. In the music video, you need this kind of mid-range shot and this kind of group shot and this kind of contextualizing story shot. Um, and then in the marketing and like management and A&R side of things, it's like, this is the brand that you should be attached to. This is how you should as well as like present yourself in public this is how you should dress this is how you should like insert yourself into the the cultural space and be perceived um and this like four-dimensional system was the like tool that made sm both like cookie cutter yes entirely um but also like really exceptionally consistent at pumping out a version of pop music that was like consistently engaging for the audiences it was aimed at because it had such a specific and square like understanding of what levers it was pulling when it was pulling them Mm -hmm. and so all of 20 odd years later uh lisuman revises this strategy in what he calls neo culture technology or nct there is an excellent video of Lee Suman presenting this in 2016, which we are absolutely going to link in the show notes. And if you just want like, like 30 minutes of just knowing what we know now, it's a fascinating like time capsule and kind of look into what were they thinking, which I think ultimately explains a lot about where NCT winds up. But 
anyway. Yeah. So, like, their own spin on it was the idea that, like, what needs to be added to the system is, like, dynamism and interactivity. In all marketing bullshit jargon, but, like, market sensitivity, recombination of the group itself, communication media. It's basically the same sorts of, like, dispersed new media strategy that, like, everyone was just doing by 2016 anyway, but had just been, like, figured out by everyone who wasn't a major, like, corporate label was just like how autonomous fandoms worked. And we've described, I think, pretty clearly, this is the sort of sister, like, alt alternate, like, mode of engagement that BTS Universe is, like, so obviously, mm-hmm. like, engaged in, in a comprehensive way. Which, again, like, also, I think worth putting a pin in the fact that, like, this is by no means exclusive to K-pop. You see plenty of major Western entertainment uh, companies and productions doing extremely similar things. Like, they noticed what fandom is and started incorporating them into the marketing of whatever product they're making. Yeah, um, into the infrastructure itself. Like, right, so exactly. much of this presentation is about apps and about uh, ecosystems and branding <laughs> and things like that that will, like, incorporate the idol's, like, brand and, like, s- like social space, the social, like, context in which they're encountered with the, the label itself. Mm. Um rather than, like, let that happen on Twitter or neighbor, the case may be. Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, that's what's sitting in the background here. That's the, like, idea is, like, NCT is the renewal of SM's strategy for how to make pop music. What it turns out to be is NCT is a K-pop group. NCT is a group of 23 male idols who are variously swapped in and out of a variety of subunits. There is the overall group NCT, but we almost never see all of the 23 members on stage at any one time. If only because this is extremely impractical. Like if you ever try (laughs) scheduling for 23 humans to be on the same stage consistently all the time, not even the juggernaut that is SMN can do it. No, Um, but quite clearly this is not their intention. Their intention isn't to like, produce a 23-member group that becomes disparate pieces. And almost we had a version of that, which was Super Junior back in the day, was yeah. effectively a, 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 like an image of what this could be. This is a, this sort of like mode of the splintered group is something that SM's been like toying with forever. Like Super Junior having a Chinese subunit, which included members that weren't even in the main S, uh, Super Junior group. EXO was originally conceived as this split Korean-Chinese group, but that eventually mm-hmm. just became one as Chinese members left um, and that like the sort of traction they got was very different between the two sorts of groups and then NCT is from the ground up conceptualized as a sort of like geographically dispersed project Um, if you want to have fun if you want to have fun watching how Korean boy groups can make people trying to do timeline visualizations cry. I encourage you to go on Wikipedia and look at the timeline of members for Super Junior and then look at the NCT one. <laughs> no! Uh, there are some incredible um, uh, Venn diagrams that attempt to capture who is at any given point in time a member of any of given NCT subunit. And it is a travesty, to be honest. But... Mm-hmm. This is, we're starting to get into, like, why NCT is such a fascinating, confusing mess. So the subunit system. Um, okay. Here we go. So the first thing that NCT attempted to do, 
And this is set out in their presentation was have geographically specific groups. Like the concept was to have a group for Korea based in Seoul and then to have like a Japanese one, several Chinese ones, potentially ones aimed at the South, uh, uh, Southeast Asian market, one aimed for the Latin American market and potentially globally. This has not happened. <laughs> no. no. The furthest they got, the furthest they got was there is an NCT subgroup that is somewhat fixed, um, NCT 127, which is quote unquote based out of Seoul. But really it isn't. It's called 127 because that's the, what is it? The latitude? Yeah, the latitude or longitude, for Seoul. One of those. Yeah, the latitude for Seoul. Um, they eventually get around to making a subgroup for the Chinese market, but it is not at all based in a single city, which is what the original concept was. The Japanese group has just not materialized so far. Yeah. Um, quite clearly, like, either ambitions got scaled back or, um, like, tactics just got radically re uh, reformed. Mm -hmm. Because the approaches being talked about in that video just do not appear in the actual <laughs> things SM decided to do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so two of the many like groups that we're talking about are geographical ones. One is like the Korean boy group, um, specific to nominally specific to Seoul, and the other is the Chinese subunit. That is mm -hmm. NCT One Two Seven and Wavy. All right, step two. <laughs> Another semi-fixed group is NCT Dream. NCT Dream was originally the sub 19 year old or 19 and under uh, yeah, uh, Korean, Korean ages. Um, age uh, counting is not, is, is slightly different to how you or I might routinely calculate someone's age. Point being, it's the quote unquote youth group. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously marketed with like, like very different aesthetics to what turns out to be very sort of like hyper futuristic um aggressive stuff for most of the other subunits nt dream has traditionally been the one that like allowed for the softer more playful more childish concepts and also mm -hmm. served as a proving ground for a bunch of idols who would then like progress and grow up and take part in cross promotions with members who had been in more established groups or at least more senior groups for extended periods right. It's worth noting that uh, NCT Dream, just to make the concept more confusing, originally had uh, a graduation system, uh, as in members would age out, and the idea is that they would be replaced from essentially the new crop of SM rookies that year. Yeah. Um. <laughs> this kind of has not happened either, but again, we're, we're jumping ahead. Yeah, I mean, again, all of the things like we anticipated this, but it didn't happen is like the entire story of NCT, which is mm -hmm. a, an attempt to do something systematic and then throwing the system out the window after six months, which yeah. is a fascinating way to run a K-pop group, but makes utter nonsense if you're trying to explain it. Um, so there are we then, yeah. the big year end groupings. Um, NCT, we've had an album from NCT 2018 and another album from NCT 2020. This is very straightforwardly, literally every single one of these idols that are in an NCT group, plus some new ones, just getting together and putting out an album for that year. Yeah. So um, yeah, NCT 2018 is literally just everyone who was in an NCT group in the year 2018. NCT 2020 is anyone who was in an NCT group in the year 2020 and often includes like rookies that they're about to start promoting really hard and like start pushing as the fronts of new mm -hmm. subgroups. Uh, in 2018, yeah. that was Lucas. 
and Kun, I guess to a slight extent, he didn't really show up much. Um, and for 2020, it was extremely obviously Sung Chan and Shotaro. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just to be clear, like if one thing that did take part, uh, like emerge out of the, the the plan of the of the NCT system, was they have just continued to add a couple of idols every once in a while. Um, we've had yeah. five new debuts since the start of the project. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like the lineups themselves keep changing, but also the member group, uh, like the, the group of members, that pool keeps growing as well. And then that leaves us with the group that we're dealing with today, which is NCTU. Which is meaningless. <laughs> NCTU is a sort of bizarre empty signifier for like, we think this is cool, but it doesn't have another place to live. Which is to say that like NCTU has never come back with the same lineup at, ev- at any point in time. There have, I think, been like maybe five tracks, somewhere in that range, which have been tagged with the, the, the artist name. I'm going to look at their Spotify. Oh, the Spotify is so, sort of a mess because of the, um, what do we call it? Uh, uh, all the soundtrack stuff that's been attributed to NCTU yeah. normally. But yeah, so it's like Seventh Sense without you, Timeless nominally, Baby Don't Stop, and then is that it? A lot uh, of stuff off the NCT year end albums we were talking about, 2018, 2020, it, are technically NCTU because they don't actually include all 22 <laughs> people. Yeah, um, they just sort of have to shoehorn them in then. Okay, so it's probably more like seven or eight tracks. Uh, yeah. There's a fair amount. Uh, oh, wait, oh, wait because, hang on. Sorry, I'm being well, unfair. They decided to credit most of the NCT 2020 projects to NCT U because the lineups were just a complete muddle. So, so again, NCT U <laughs> means whatever combination of idols we decided would be good for this one song. Yeah, um, which in the past was usually just a random single. And yeah. as of NCT 2020 was like half that project, but not the whole of it. Um. But, but this is the thing, like, there is next to no content to NCTU. It is just simply, like, whatever is cool and appropriate for the present moment. Yeah. However. Are you confused yet? Because it's very confusing. Oh my, oh I God. feel like the thing we forgot to mention is that, like, it might be logical to conclude that, aside from maybe NCTU, which is clearly a drifting label that's just entirely circumstantial, uh, you might be... You know, it's logical to conclude that perhaps, oh, 127 is a certain group of people. Wavy is a certain group of people. NCT Dream is another different group of people. No, they share members. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, th- sometimes sometimes there, there's like a bit of a tension between that. Like, there we will at some point in the future start talking about the relationship that K-pop has to China as a market to deal with. And because of like ge- geopolitical complexities... Uh, there's been a tendency for members to leave Korean units to join Wavy, mm-hmm. but or at least obscure that, that connection. Obs- yeah, absolutely obscure the connection. It's the only NCT unit that doesn't have NCT in the name specifically because it needs that kind of branding distancing. Mm-hmm. This does not. This do- of course does not stop Wavy, which is the Chinese group promoting in Korea. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it also doesn't mean anything about the fate of particularly Chinese members who are like decidedly promoting in Korea and I'm thinking there of like Renjun and Chana who are like dream yeah. members who are like decidedly 
yeah, they are ethnically and originally Chinese, but like will pr- promote also exclusively fluent, in... uh, Mandarin speakers. Yeah, but yeah. Um, right, have, have thus far had their entire careers almost exclusively in Korea. Yeah, um, and then in terms of the trade between the individual units, the majority of NCT of the first incarnation of NCTU made it into NCT One Two Seven, but not all of it. And there are several members who cross over between NCT Dream and NCT 127. My favorite, my personal favorite example of, oh God, do you even let them sleep? Let's look at Mark Lee. <laughs> Mark Lee is, I think, the best rapper in SM. Not just NCT, like just in the entire company right now. He, uh, yeah, he's actually a Canadian citizen. He grew up in Toronto, I believe. Um, and was actually one of the first debuted members of the entire NCT project. He was a part of NCTU for The Seventh Sense, which is the song we're talking about, which was the first NCT, well, the first single that came out under the NCT umbrella. So, tick off NCTU. He is an integral part of NCT 127, the nominally soul-based geographic subunit. Tick that off. He's also an NCT Dream because at the time of debut, he was 16 years old. So he was, I think, the oldest leader. member. Yeah, he's yeah. the leader. He was the oldest member of NCT Dream when that first came out. Again, tick number three. And he's featured in a lot of NCTU songs, uh, which means that he went on the promotion circuit for aforementioned songs because, as I said, he's one of their best rappers. He's also in Super M. So that makes it five. And what's really funny is um, early on in their career, uh, and this is actually kind of a common thing, I think, now, especially for groups with mm, a lot of members, that when they go on like variety shows or talk shows or music shows to promote their songs, they'll wear name tags. <laughs> um, and there's <laughs> there have been multiple variety show TV inter- with NCT where they just each have colored name tags representing which NCT subunit they're in, and Mark is just covered. <laughs> His entire body is just covered with name tags. It's wow. hilarious. Um, there is the, a, a tiny bit of a bit more shadow for to to drop in on this, which is the main victim of NCT Dream dropping its graduation system was Mark, as well as Hei-chan particularly, but mostly Mark, yeah. because it meant that he was the one who had graduated, left Hei-chan to be the, the leader of the group. Right. And no, People we were like, this isn't good. The graduation this system. is not as we're good. We're going to take Mark back. No, it's just a worse group without Mark in it. We want Mark back. Yep. Let's stop with this gr- fucking graduation system. So yeah, so now NCT Dream is just like, uh, we thought it was the youth concept group, but now they're just another seven-member lineup. Yeah. Uh, Which is, I think, much more beneficial to that particular group's output. Makes a lot of sense. They clearly work well together. They are, they perform really well together, but like, it's, it's, it was just like, oh, this, this is a silly idea. And I can't believe you pretended it would work for so long. Which is, to be fair, my feelings towards NCT as a whole. I love them. I am just in awe of, like... The bullshit? It's not mismanagement. Yeah, right. It's not. It's just the bullshit. It's so needlessly complex. And we probably lost seven listeners over the course of the last ten minutes of rambling about this but like we're just trying to get people to grasp a sense of like the chaos but also the scale of ambition going into this project like 
This project is meant to be the schema within which SM dominates the entire future of K-pop. It simply yeah. is not that. Like, it cannot yeah, ever be Yeah, but it's like, the, the, the theory is that because of this ultimate flexibility, you will always be able to find the best mo uh, group of people and group of, like, not just, like, performers, but, like, production talents, styling, um, uh, etc. Like, all the kind of machinery of K-pop that best suits a given market. In practice, it's just incredibly confusing. A couple of people constantly get spotlighted and shuffled into these groups because they are better than some of the others, or they're more popular, um, or they have more time. More like, I legitimately yeah. think... Right. Or more marketable. Or more marketable, right. Um, In the, the, the most cynical sense, yeah. Right. And, and you know, you know, again, as we said, the promise was like infinite recombinations, different styles for everyone. In reality, every single one of their groups like tends to, to like just all of the NCT groups just like start veering towards a certain so like sound. And then, and then, like they kind of hit a point where they're all really similar for the time period, and then like converge back out again. And then they'll yeah. all kind of come back together and start sounding the same, and then they'll branch out again. So, like, there's an NCT sound. I would be a lot more hesitant to say that there is a uh, 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 that like within the subgroups, it can be kind of hard to distinguish. Like, is there a particular? style to this one group because it changes over time and with trends which yes like every single k-pop group but again makes the subunits needlessly difficult to distinguish from each other like we said yeah. nct dream had a monopoly for a while on the like playful youthful like school kid teenager like teeny bopper kind of sound guess what as they grew up as they got older they started sounding more like nct 127 because a bunch of their members are in NCT 127. Ah. So this is where we are. We're in a morass of needless complexity, probably overworking, uh, confusion branding-wise, confusion like geography and aesthetic-wise. And yet, and yet... Why are we They're so obsessed really good. with NCT? They're, They're really so good. good. So, shall we introduce our cast of characters for this week? <laughs> well, actually, at the at the very top of our notes document, I dared us to name all 23 of them on air. Like, all the NCT members that are part of NCT as of uh, right now. Like, March 2021. All right. Do you, I, I, do you want me to just give it a go and see how I do? Yeah. Gonna, I, I've got a, a tally in front of me on this pad of paper. I'm going to take names off as I go. So, five members to start us off for this week. Um, they are the five members of NCTU for the song that we're talking about, which is The Seventh Sense. That is yeah. Taeyong, face of the group. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the face of NCT is a whole project. Super distinctive dancer, super distinctive voice. We'll talk about him. Mark, we've mentioned him. Ten. Uh, Thai incredible dancer, really good singer, hides a bit after this uh, this comeback, but becomes a star later. Which I think is because he suffered an injury mm -hmm. that took a long time to uh, recover from. Yeah, he's currently um, part of Wavy. 
yeah, currently the face of Wavy and also a member of, of um, Super M. So clearly one of those many idols that SM is deemed uh, correct to push really hard. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jaehyun, um, one of the initial faces of NCT 127, I'd have said. Um, really good mm-hmm. R&B singer. Doyoung, vocal powerhouse. So that is mm-hmm. five members. Yep. All right, let's talk about NCT 127. So we've had... Taeyong, Taeyong, Mark, Jaehyun. We have Taeil, yep. who is the oldest member of the group, powerhouse vocalist. We have mm-hmm. Heechan, um, one of my absolute faves. Um, really distinctive voice, really excellent light on his feet dancer. Uh, mm-hmm. Super distinctive voice, which is always really cool to see. We have Winwin, Chinese member, yep. who was shuffled out of, of NTT127 and into Wavy. Um Perpetually locked in the basement. He never gets lines. We're always sad about it. Justice for Dong Xisheng. Um <laughs> He's now a part of Wavy and gets a lot more lines and screen time, which, hey, justice we're, for we're, we're grateful for that, at the very, very least. Um, mm-hmm. Johnny, American member, originally from Chicago. Um, very tall. Tall. That's the important thing about Johnny. Variety, variety linchpin, especially when they start pushing into the US. The US. Yeah. Um, it's just important to have a couple of native English speakers in your lineup. Uh, Who are also um, naturally outgoing. Yes. Because Mark Lee, bless him, f- very fluent in English, extremely shy. Yes. Oh, baby. Um, Yuta. Yuta. Um, until recently, the Your only favorite. Japanese member. Um, mm-hmm. I think an incredible dancer, incredible face, got incredible stage presence. I love him. Um... Jungwoo, uh, a later addition, one of the later members to join NCT 127. I think replacing Winwin. Yeah, when Winwin rotated out, Jungwoo joined. Uh, really like good vocalist, good dancer, just a really solid addition to the squad. Um, mm-hmm. I'm. You already I'm mentioned gonna, Do Young as part of, uh, of uh, NCT the U. first NCTU lineup, but we kind of forgot to say he's also part of 127. Yes. Um, it's like seven. How many people is that right now in there? Seven? Six? Uh, Help? More. <laughs> it has to be more. It's usually more. Um, I've got 11 written down right now. Um, so I'm just going to uh, keep yeah, going I, I and see if, I, see if I've missed anyone. Um, all right, go let's go on to dreamies. NT- cool. Let's do the dreamies. So Mark and Hitchan, we've already, we've already mentioned. They are yep. 127 members, but also dream members. Jeno. Uh, Jeno yep. is tall, the looks one, good dancer, become a better rapper over time. Mm-hmm. Jamin oozes charisma, really good rapper, has come into his own in the last couple of years after a, a time sideline also with injury. Yep. Chunda, we mentioned, um, Chinese sort of like variety star prodigy, variety TV prodigy turned like v- vocalist. Um, mm-hmm. Small, fighty, makes dolphin noises when he laughs, slightly adorable, <laughs> but also terrifying. Yep. Brenjun. Renjin, who we also mentioned, I think he's secretly one of the best vocalists in the whole project. I love him to death. He's also very cute. Um, Jisung. Uh, Jisung was, up until recently, the youngest member of the, the project. Um, Dance Machine. Dance Machine. Really tall. Obscenely good. He has grown like a foot and a half as in, in his time in NCT. Also has like the deepest voice in NCT Dream, which still makes me laugh because he's yes. the baby. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. We're at 15. Uh, We're doing good. Yeah. Uh, any other Dream members? I don't think so. There's seven. We counted seven. Cool. Wait, did um, we? 
Mark uh, H and Geno H and oh sorry Mark H uh, and Geno Geno Chandler Renjin Jisung Jisung and yeah that's seven. God, words. I think of them as pairs. So Mark and H and are a pair. Uh, Geno Jamin are a pair. Uh, Chandler Renjun are a pair, and then Jisung. Jisung so seven of them. Jisung yeah, baby. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We've got everyone. Okay. So I'm up to uh, sixteen overall. We're mm-hmm. getting close. Uh, Wavy. Wavy is actually the easy one because it's new enough that they have had n- essentially no lineup changes since yeah, their inception. Yeah, n- no crossover, thankfully. And again, because of that, they have to distance themselves from the Korean market. So, like, yes. the Wavy members are really just the Wavy members. Yeah, to a um, large extent, at least. Um, we've so already we've talked about 10. ten. Yeah, we've already talked about Win Win. Yep. Um, so Lucas, uh, Lucas yep. was um, one of the Kong. faces that got pushed really hard in NCT NCT twenty eighteen. Yep. Um, he is, uh, originally from Hong Kong, I think. Yep. Um, yep. tall uh, rapper, tall rapper, again, oozes a lot of charisma, but a very different kind of charisma to a lot of the other rappers. Very like mm-hmm. macho and powerful. Well known for speaking many languages, all of them badly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Kun, who spent the longest time in the fridge because he initially appeared on the Chinese language version of the B-side to the Seventh Sense and then disappeared for the next three years, which was desperately sad for everyone involved. But like, sometimes this thing happens. Um, he has since resurfaced as Wavy's leader. Leader, yeah. Uh, dad of the group, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Really good vocalist and one of the anchors there. Xiaojun, um, eyebrows, vocals, eyebrows. and sh- showed out immensely in NCT 2020. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, Yang Yang. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Yang Yang is German. One of Korean? the main rappers. He, no, yeah. he's he's a he's Chinese, but speaks German. Like he learned oh, German. He, he was he was he lived in Dusseldorf for some of his childhood. I know that much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, really good rapper. Um, often mixed up with Hendry, who is Taiwanese, I think. Um, uh, Hendry, no, I think he's from Macau. Oh, you're right, you're right. He is the most Disney prince looking out of all of them. Yes! 100%. He's just got enormous eyes. He looks like a Disney prince. Yeah. I recognize God. him. <laughs> um, couldn't, uh, let me just we double, double check that. Uh, 10, win-win, Lucas, Kun, Hendry, Shajun, uh... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all seven okay. wavy members. Uh, we're on twenty-one. We're at twenty-one. That's good because that means there are two more members to talk about, which are the new debutants for NTT twenty twenty. Sung Chan, tall rapper, like lanky, showed out pretty well in the song that he debuted in, and mm-hmm. Shotaro, Shota. who is the second Japanese member, um, sort of got probably got scouted off TikTok, um, probably mm-hmm. got scouted doing like dance challenges on TikTok, um, tiny ball of dancing energy. We have heard very little of him actually performing with sounds coming out of his mouth, but he's incredible to watch moving. And yeah. we got a second Japanese member that probably bodes well for the feature. He usually raps in yeah. the songs that he's appeared in. He's also substituted for Taeyong in a couple of live performances because yeah and that should (laughs) yeah and that should tell you about the standard that sm rates his dancing skills if he's the one selling for taeyong 
So there we go. I did it. Uh, it took a bit longer than I expected. I wasn't just trying to rattle off names. I was trying to actually remember who these people are. But there we go. Um, there are so many boys. <laughs> as you can tell, like there are, there are some clearly faces of the group. And a lot of them appear right at the start of the project. So like Taeyong, 100%. Mm-hmm. A face, a star. He is meant to be the like the guy who's on every single marketing billboard that SM produces from now until the end of infinity and end of time. Um, Mark is meant to be like the rapper. He is meant to be the guy who just like is so supremely skillful and competent that he can anchor any single rap track you throw at him. Ten is swag. meant to, yeah. Ten is meant to be the face of the chi- for the Chinese market. He himself is Thai, uh, speaks really good Mandarin. So they play up. So they play up the part where he has like one Chinese grandfather a lot. <laughs> It's weird. Yeah. I mean, again, this is like all the weird geopolitics and uh, like uh, emotional tugs that they're, they're, they're using are like the very strange and very manipulative and don't seem to translate very well. But like you can tell what they're trying to do. Yeah. And then Jaehyun and Doyoung are two like high level, really, really strong performers who would be powerhouses in a, if in a more stable lineup. But instead of being used as sort of like faces to like anchor you when you get to NCT 127. So like mm-hmm. two Korean members who are like going to f- perform centrally like a an anchor role for the feature groups. So yeah, mm-hmm. three faces and two like future anchors is a good way for me to conceptualize what's going on with the lineup here in the seventh sense. Yep. Won't help you for any future release. <laughs> none of the other group, none of the all, mm, mm, just, 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 mm, no. No, I think like no. functionally what happens is that like you 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 essentially catch on one of these entertainers and just kind of follow what they do and that's kind of the in for or at least it was yeah. my in for NCT. Yeah, it's like totally. I, I a couple of these people that, really um, caught my eye and then, you know. Yeah, 100%. And again, like this is also like that can happen and then your chosen performer or bias or whatever it might be just gets shelved for a for a year and a half at a time, which is very <laughs> annoying. That's but yeah, I, I get to use a very like, uh, like ham-fisted analogy, the sense that like a, a trend that people in marketing circles talk about over the last little while is people following personalities over the brands. Like people mm-hmm. aren't Juventus fans, they're Cristiano Ronaldo fans. And in as and when he leaves his old club and joins a new one, he will drag his following along with him and that like social media environments and technologies make it much easier to centralize um, attention and like interest and investment onto individuals rather than brands and groups. Um, And so it makes sense to use the like attractive power of individuals to like drag people's attentions around to different projects. Not to say that Mm -hmm. it always works, but like if it's been going on and this is the, the like the, the like organizing principle behind like, sports and large-scale media projects for the last 10 years, then maybe it also works in K-pop too. <sighs> Again, so functionally, you... it's because it's so confusing, you just cling on to one person you recognize <laughs> and hope. Yeah, no, there is also that aspect. Sometimes you just like, I don't care what the, the, the fluff is going on around the edges. I care about the, 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 the people I care about. Yeah. And I and I mentioned I mentioned this in our tracks of the year 2020 pod, but I personally, my guess based on no evidence whatsoever, is that they, NCT, had a really good 
a group of rookies that were all more or less ready to debut. Um, and in a sense, I think kind of had to because clearly like some of them were getting essentially like it happens sometimes that if a trainee doesn't debut with the company that they're training under, they'll shop like they'll go to other agencies and see if they can debut there so that they're not basically constantly waiting for their uh, chance to get into the spotlight also because it costs them money. Um, so my guess is that they had a bumper crop of rookies that year who had to be debuted soon. Um, and the NCT concept basically lets them debut them as they're ready instead of having to wait a couple of years for a kind of discrete group to come out like you would with EXO, like they did with Shiny. They can just keep debuting uh, new rookies kind of constantly. And I think they kind of expected that they would have the same sort of like rates of trainees getting ready to debut, which just didn't happen, which is which is like the entire premise on which this whole extra complicated NCT project rests on, the assumption that you will always have new talent ready at a reasonable, reliable rate. Just that yeah. has not happened. And I like, think it, it might speak to some of the structural issues with the project, which is like our investment in NCT is not about its infinitesimally more relevant like marketing scheme for British people or Asian expats in America. Like that's not the reason that we go to NCT. We go to them because we think they're like individually compelling performers with interesting music. Like they might have like seen that there is some like necessary minimal investment into like localization and concluded that what was if what was a draw, what was effective was localization rather than like, no, you have a cool product that is compelling and that just necessitates localization to be intelligible or make yeah. sense and like have a chance of like prospering or landing properly. But that like, no, I think there are like dis distinct like anti-synergies or like, like distinct problems with a, a, a anticipating an investment in a continually fluid and continually expanding group of people. Like, I just mm -hmm. think that's not particularly likely to happen. Yep. Um, but yeah. If you've made it, if you're, if you're still with us, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's about time we start talking about the song, right? Which is so good. Like, uh, I feel like, like that's your reward for sitting through us desperately trying to make sense of the NCT project as a whole is you get to listen to the song because it's great. Oh my god, it's so good. So I think it's worth coordinating a little bit, like, what is Entity beyond a failed, like, brainchild project? Yeah. And I think like, what, what is it, it is now, is, actually? Yeah, what it is is, to some degree, an aesthetic reset. Um, it was an opportunity to, like, take the, um, I mean, this is the thing, SM Entertainment pushes one, maybe two boy groups at any given point in time hard. On the understanding that like they will attempt to saturate the market um in terms of like covering all the bases that uh, like that every single demographic group would care about but it's important that there is one group that fucking rules the roost that like at any given point in time 
there is one group that just like runs everything. In like 2010, that was Super Junior. In 2013, that was Shiny. 2016, that was EXO. And by this point in time, it was supposed to be NCT. And I think the jury's out whether that's true or not. But like, it was, we need a refresh. We need something that updates the, 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 the look and feel of our boy groups at the point at which like EXO is, has like, um, mandatory military services and stuff like that looming on the horizon right. and just the natural life cycle of boy groups would, would indicate that they're going to like rotate out mm-hmm. um, so how do they go about doing this so like NCT as like a vocabulary already brings to mind all sorts of weird like techno futuristic bullshit like you can imagine like zapping matrixy green glow light cyberpunky nonsense that isn't the explicit direction they've gone more than once or twice they have once or twice and some really excellent tracks but like yeah broadly they have like attempted to just be like culture forward like really invested in actual culture that people engage in but at the front edge of it like it's a lot of streetwear it's a lot of um uh it's a lot of modern music trends reincorporated to k-pop and i know that sounds exactly like every other time we've said that but like specifically um like underground fashionable stuff getting updated and the the things i'm specifically thinking of is we'll talk about trap and cloud rap for this and mm-hmm. emo 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 rappy stuff um but also it is um hyperpop it is uh the the like weirder more futuristic strains of like what would now be termed future bass it's occasionally stuff like grime it's all the sorts of genres that like live at the edge of the cultural periphery to some degree that occasionally have moments of surfacing and that like have a lot because of their like uniqueness and like uh like rarity and like subcultural status have a lot of cachet to them and then that's a thing that NCT is really desperately after. It's like the cultural cachet of like subculture and like coolness. Um, right. The, the fact that the whole endlessly recombinable thing means they're also a lot better at capturing that than a more ex- established group, I think. Yeah. They're more capable of doing it. They don't always get there, but they could. Yeah. Um, this is exactly it. That like it's quite clear that in trying to reinterpret so many subcultural forms in K-pop style is a really hard task. It's just that you need like real flexibility and real skill and talent to be able to do it in the first place. And that's the one thing that Entity really has in spades is like, it can figure out which ways performers can, um, (laughs) performers can be put together in order to like fulfill the needs of really demanding pieces of music. Um, Which is a great lead-in to the seventh sense, because my god, is it hard to perform? So, like I wrote, like wh- whoever decided this was a debut song, like okay, I think we should talk a little bit about debut songs. We've featured a couple. We've talked about a few. They tend to be relatively straightforward expressions of the identity or concept or aesthetic of the group. Um, whether or not the group sticks with that is a different issue entirely, but they tend to be not, uh, well, 
we talked about Whistle for Blackpink. Was that their debut or was it Bumbai? I don't know. Uh, Whistle was his debut, yeah. Okay, Whistle was his debut. Um, and it, like, for all that we did talk about the complexity, it is still, like, it's it's more complex given their kind of other discography, I guess, but, like, on the, on the scale of, like, what is the song about? Yeah, it's, like, relatively simple. It's very catchy. You know what that song's about because it tells you what the group's about. And, like, you don't want that to be complicated. Like, if this is the world's first exposure to your group, you want to make sure the world knows what you're about. Shiny's Replay, again, great song. They still perform it. Um, but, like, a fairly straightforward song about, oh, uh, Nuna, like, this older woman is so pretty. Uh, Exo's one had the weird superhero thing, which, yeah, so, okay. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is literally, like, Shiny is the, like, beautiful, perfectly put together, like, R&B track that expresses, like, a mix of sorrow and joy that you never knew could be capable and capable of being achieved in a pop song. And this is the Chinese stand limping out, but we'll leave that aside. EXO was just some superhero dancey bullshit. Like, we'd love to see it. We'd, we're glad that EXO had that in their locker. It's, it's a great place to be coming from. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. like, how do you fucking choose this as the way to set your tone? Dear God. So let's talk about what the song is doing, right? Open your eyes, 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 open this is like an honest to God trap track. This is like an actual straight up trap track. We talked about trap as, a, as an influence so many different times, but almost never have we been like, this is a trap track. Remarkably enough, the one track we did say that about was one of these nights, which is like slightly insane to, to, to put next to this. But one of these nights sort of like is a down-tempo R&B track that reveals it's structured around a trap beat in the second half. This is not that. This is like, this track is an 808 and a bass line, some snares, some skittering hi-hats, occasionally some percussion, and the vocals. That is it. It is just like the rawest, most simple, most like skeletal uh, elements of trap music in its entirety. It's like dispensed even with harmonic content beyond like vocal harmony. Um, there is just and bass pretty simple and vocal harmony too. I will say. Yeah, I mean there are some like it, well, one or two exquisite moments, but <laughs> yeah. But in terms of like uh, the number of vocal lines going at any given point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, this is meant to be stark and dramatic, and I think it's one of the most like stunning achievements I've ever heard in K-pop. Like, this is one of my favorite pop tracks of the decade, without like needing to to think too hard about it. It's remarkable, in fact, that NCT has produced maybe three of my favorite pop tracks of the decade, but, like, they're all very different tracks, and this one is possibly the most, like, out of character. Special mention also to the... I think special mention also to the choreography at this point, because all that you were Mm -hmm. saying about with, like, it's very sparse and minimal is... I wouldn't say not quite reflected in the dance, because it's 
very active. It's very... It's ornate. Constantly moving. But it, it's yeah. quite ornate, yeah. But it's difficult because it's so abstract. Yeah, it's abstract um, and fluid and groovy in a way that most of these aren't. It demands, like, control rather than athleticism. And it's so hard to be... And in, like, focus, I think. Yeah. Focus and yeah. expression in that in that a very different mode to what you'd normally expect from boy groups. And we can talk mm-hmm. about the, the like... I, I have things, thoughts about exactly what that choreo is doing. Yeah. But yeah. So this is a fucking trap track. There is literally nothing here other than bass, drums, um, and voice. That is it. Um, the, the, the like, baseline figure, I'm not even going to call, call it the, harmon- uh, like the harmony, the progression, is... Uh, five notes, just five notes repeated over and over again, very simply. Um, and like, it almost feels like uh, hilarious to try and point out the genius of a track that is this simple, but I think that's kind mm-hmm. of why it's so compelling to me. Um, it, this bass line is the place to start, I think, which is that yeah. most of the time in trap music we're talking about 808s and the 808 I've talked about before on this podcast it's a drum from a Roland TR-808 synthesizer it's the bass drum that is usually given an additional sustain so that it rings out in this pretty clean signish tone um, and just fill out, fills out the bottom end of the track but usually what it looks like is as you would expect from a drum it's got a quite even decay like you expect it to like if you imagine if you hit a gong instead of a drum, it would have that sort of like natural taper off that the sound would have as it dispersed. This is not that. Um, this is a, what I would call a Reese baseline. Um, Reese baselines after Alex Reese's Pulp Fiction. Which- Um, which is a drum and bass track from probably the early 90s. I don't know exactly when it would have been. Um, Reese bass lines are a hallmark of British dance music forms, particularly drum and bass, also to some degree dubstep, which are these dark, rumbly, multiple voice synthesizers that fill out the bottom end. Um, and that they're like, the thing about this is it's meant to be dark and foreboding and like, almost scary in some places like obviously you have different ways of using it and different tones that you can strike using it but like this thickness and this like churning quality is the thing that they've gone for this is a baseline that has sustain it is like just as loud as it is at the end of the phrase as it is when it starts there's like an additional complexity that like there's clearly a kick drum poking through it on the beat and there are moments where you hear the baseline without the kick drum in the track but like fundamentally like this is a track where like the bass the the kick drum is hidden within a bass line that sustains and that means it's got all the tension and anxiety and neuroticism that i associate with pop fiction uh, with pop fiction with tracks like it with drum and bass in dubstep and genres um it is dark and scary and has some sort of like sci-fi undertones um and i just love it i think it's extraordinary um and this is an unusual thing for k-pop to do like we're so used to bass lines that need all this mid-range register in order to be like audible on a phone speaker or audible on your shitty iPhones, uh, iPhone headphones. But this is like very specifically like a very sculptural, very like 
physicalized so uh, sound that like you don't use this if you're expecting like this uh, this noise to be need to be made intelligible on bad systems on like context where it's not about the body feeling of it playing out over a large sound system but is about like communicating the t uh, like the, the the key center um easily in all contexts on radio like there are all sorts of histories of production techniques that are tailored towards radio formats or uh, broadcast formats like the phone speaker. But like, this feels like, an, to some degree at least, an active rejection of that. Like, I can tell this is like more mid-rangey and more warm and audible than old school re-spaced lines. And that's probably like yeah, a necessary feature given the constraints of technology. Like, it needs mm -hmm. to be audible. It can't just be subby. Um, sub bass being the, the frequencies below about 100 hertz, which you more physically feel as vibrations through your body than you do experience as pitch. Um, but like, it definitely leans more towards that end than I ever, would ever have expected. And I have like distinct memories of being absolutely shocked when I heard this track for the first time and being like, oh God, it really is that empty and really is that concentrated on just like smashing you in the face with a bass line. And now I want to talk a bit about the vocal production. So like eh. the the percussion and the the the, like the skipping hi-hats aren't particularly remarkable on themselves. We'll get, get onto like the snare later. I think the snare's interesting. Vocal production's really cool. SM have like, as part, I think of the like systematic way of presenting um, uh, K-pop groups, particularly boy groups, have perfected a very particular style of vocal presentation, which is super compressed, super upfront, pretty dry, and like very concentrated as a way to describe it. Like using all the like pop stock things to make a vocal seem as direct and as personal as possible without um, like implying it in a space. I think that's the best way to describe it. It is incredibly like, uh, I'm trying to come up with adjectives and it's really hard to because like it's not intimate it's definitely not intimate the thing about intimacy is it usually relies on the sense of being in the space with someone else and that like that would require you to hear the whisper the s's in their voice to hear the air around them moving probably hear like very like fast early reflections from the surfaces around you and that's how you communicate being close together in a small space that's not what, what what's going on in most pop production. Most pop production is meant to be like present, but in a very abstract way, in a very like unphysical way. Also, SM's almost allergic to vocal effects. It's got autotune as like the cool thing it does, but it makes sure that autotune never obscures the actual tone of people's voices. Like it's very like <laughs> it's very convinced. Unless the song is ring ding dong, but continue. Uh Ding 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 da 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 da. Official original release ring ding dong. Original release ring ding dong. I'm trying to remember what the. No, it is just an excuse to look at this MV again. <laughs> You're doing this to yourself, God. I am. Um. So I mean, I think this is a, a ring ding dong might be a a case a, a case in point in my favor. I, I'm not going to say, like, you're presenting an, an alternative argument, but, like, there is, like, outsized auto-tune in this track, quite clearly. But what is definitely happening is it's associating that auto-tune voice with a performer. Like, it's, there's a one-to-one -one correlation between the sounds coming out of someone's mouth and the thing you're hearing, even if it's gone through processing. 
The thing that SM has generally been really averse to up until quite recently has been vocal affecting that abstracts the voice away from the performer. And I think that's a very deliberate decision. I think it's like they want to keep a personal relationship between the two, keep the sort of impression that um, when you are listening to an SM Entertainment pop song, you are listening to that particular performer at any given point in time. And you can reliably associate the group and performer with what you're hearing. And the first noise we get in the seventh sense is a completely muffled, potentially pitch shifted, hyper distorted voice. That voice is also got a bunch of reverb on it that like places it somewhere in the middle distance. So like, the more I listen to it, I think the effects back off slightly over the course of the phrase. That sounds like Do Young's tone, but with like a lot of the top end rolled off it. Um, and like, I can tell that now having listened to Do Young perform for literally five years and being quite intimately familiar with his very cool, very good, super clean tone. Um, how anyone would have understood that to begin with coming into this song is just like impossible to know. Specifically, like this is the debut. No one knows what these people's vocal tone is like when they first listen to this song. So this mm -hmm. is like breaking the first rule of SM's like vocal presentation, which is depersonalizing things. Um, di like disidentifying the voice with the performer. Um, I also think it's really cool. It's really spatialized in a way that's unusual for SM. Um, it's wide and like detailed and what I would call intimate. Um, with a lot of that like rich reverb and a lot of those like stereo effects throughout the course of the track. I'm thinking particularly of the the sort of second phrase in the verse, uh, which is, yeah, Gatunkum. Uh, yeah, I can't pronounce it, but um, about 30 seconds in, I think. I'm watching the performance video as you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you can do is like, okay, the thing that you gain when you return to, obviously like we're back in the realm of like two vocalists, two voices that you hear, but like wide stereo, stereo separation, each vocalist is basically sitting in each of your ears and your headphones, a lot of texture and detail to the voice, a lot of air and breath to it. And also like quite a lot of spatialization. Um, there is also another incredible moment, which is at the end of I think this particular verse. Yeah, 35 seconds in, just at the transition point that I mentioned is a, just a small little doyong ad lib that has the most delicious delay effect in it. Just the, the sort of echo effect that repeats it every bit. Baby, baby, we'll take it slow. And again, these are techniques that SM just never uses, ever, at all. Like, the more I sat with this track, the more remarkable it was that SM was like, this willing to fuck around with people's voices this much. Because it's just not a thing that they're usually willing to do. Because I think it's just really cool. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a risk when you're trying to sell people as performers, but it's really fucking cool. And they realized it's really fucking cool and they want to tap into the coolness and like, that seems to be like a really crucial hinge moment in the development of both SM strategy, but also what like makes NCT so interesting as a project is this like 
willingness to bend some of the foundational rules of K-pop to get the like artistic and aesthetic effects it's after, which is just really exciting. Um, I I feel like it's also worth mentioning though that as the song progresses, pretty much every single person in this five member lineup gets a phrase at the very least to shine where they're yeah, more, the only voice being emphasized. Um, unless you think that the depersonalization is all they're doing, but it's just that the, in the, in the realm of effects and what's going on behind them. Yeah. That that's really rare for SM. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing they have to play the two off each other. Cause like you cannot yeah. simply have a vocal line entirely built out of like distance. It has to like have the, the like the depth of field between the stuff that is, spatialized and distant and like uh, like evocative of the space and aesthetic they want to bring about mm -hmm. but also like puts the thing they want you looking at up front and center which they do ever so often but then yeah. like this is the interesting thing i think the visual imagery also supports this really intensely which is like we're so used to the sm entertainment i'm thinking back to exo videos particularly which have the like mid uh the like shallow depth of focus like money shot of the performer's face staring directly at the camera with the entire background set blurred out and this is not mm -hmm. how they do individual shots in this mv um they are almost all of them either through filters and like dual dual effects like doyoung's are all where like smoke effects are covering his face uh, Jaehyun's are in this like weird yellow like yellow cover. Um, all of the like the 10, 10, <laughs> 10 and Taeyong look like they're in like completely blue lit bathrooms. Mark's in a yellow lit bathroom. Um, mm -hmm. And all of those close up shots are done with the camera sweeping low or glancing past the side of their face rather than being like up front and center. Like they seem to be like really convinced that like this is not the mv to like put a camera steady on someone's face up mm -hmm. until maybe the very one of the very last shots where they hang on taeyong maybe um even then taeyong's doing those sort of one of the weirdest most like hypnotic movements like swinging around with his body yeah. um there are all of these incredible aspects that just like they were clearly trying to break their own vocabulary for the relation between artist and voice and image, which is so interesting to see. And has just made this like, made this uh, like pop out as a, a, like a really, really interesting like point of departure. It's, it's so ambitious. Yeah. Trying to sell people, trying to sell performers by not sewing them off is really ambitious. Yeah. Which... Is, is this the is this the part where we also talk about the rap because we've 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 sung the praises of the production etc. But like and um, and mostly we're talking there about like song effects. Just like mm -hmm. Ten's got the the sort of whispered rap verse, which is really lovely and cool and again intimate. But we got to mm -hmm. talk about the Mark verse. <sighs> okay, so firstly, long ass ride is a meme. But only because he does it so well. This is the point where I want to segue into the Produce 101 uh, yeah, yeah. cover of it. So we will talk about Produce later, but it's essentially um, think, I guess, American Idol if you use trainee groups instead of individual like people off the street right these are it's like a uh uh 
rookie um, musical reality show, music reality show. I words, <laughs> words bad thoughts uh, none. <laughs> um, anyway, there is a, a point in that show where they have an NCT week and they split all the trainees into two groups. One group is covering uh, NCT 2018's NCT U 2018. I'm sorry. Is a single boss, which is uh, kind of this. I I don't know how I would describe it, but it's a lot more straightforward. It's like hard hitting. It's aggressive. Um, and the other group was set up for failure because they got handed the seventh sense. And if you watch that, uh, there's a English subbed uh, versions of this show floating around on the internet. Just the fear in their eyes when they've been told that they have to do the seventh sense is palpable because, and this is one of those fascinating moments where like, I think you, you don't always get to essentially see, I mean, covers and stuff abound. Sure. But like, this is very specifically comparing a bunch of trainees who want to debut and want to make it to a debut song. Um, and there are, and we'll link some in the show notes. Um, videos that compare you know their performance to nct's performance and it is the difference is night and day it's not as impactful the focus isn't there but i think most importantly that rap you listen to mark do it and it's so smooth and like effortless and natural and then you hear them try and you're like oh actually this was really really hard and and again this is a moment where like and nct is a group like makes itself stand out because like no one in this company could do this before Mark. No one at all. And he was 16. Like, I'm not over that. No. <laughs> God. Ugh. So, yeah. Um, I do want to talk about, like, what the only other bit of the track that is left to talk about. Like, clacky percussion. Um, extra little thump of kick drum on the on the on some of the, the bass hits. Skipping a hi-hat pattern, straight out of trap vocabulary, and then that snare. We've got to talk about the snare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this, again, was one of the things that was, like, stunning to me when I first heard this track, which was, like, it just immediately popped out to me as, like, oh, God, this is just different. This is strange and interesting. So, like, what the snare is, is it's, like, incredibly, like, contained burst which is quite highly tuned. Um, it's got all the, all the, all the sort of like bottom end and body of an 808 snare. But the thing that makes it so distinctive is this sort of like quite tuned pitch that you get as it rings out. So like there are a couple of important elements here. One is that like this is like quickly an, an 808 snare at the bottom end, but with this like tuned quality at the top um, that you'll hear as this like it's like a fifth relative to the key of the track. Um, it just sort of like pokes through in that way. Um, this has been a thing that has been around in dance music for a long time. Both the idea of tuning percussion, but that also uh, that like percussion is just components of different frequencies that are usually like scattered and uncorrelated in such a way that they don't have a particular like 
note that you they are sensed as, but that you can organize it or filter it or EQ it in such a way that like you push certain parts of it so that you hear starts to hear it, maybe indistinctly at least, maybe chaotically, but you start to hear it vaguely coherently as a particular note. Um this is a technique that has been floating around in the last few forever. I think it's most notable in dubstep is the way the the the, the area that I've heard it the, probably the most. Um uh in sort of like exactly the sorts of music that was using Reese bass lines might consider using tuned percussion to like give this sense of percussion and impact that is still part of the tonal world of the music. And the ability to like just pull these sorts of tricks, particularly out of dance music, but more broadly, like all these tricks of percussion that are so clearly attempting to aesthetify the bare bones of the track. I just feel like some, such a departure from a history where like, usually there is a very clean separation between what is necessary in the track to be effective. Like you need this amount of sub so it hits, you need this amount of thump to the kick drum to make sure it lands. And we can tune that in microscopic detail. But like the 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 like the fact that you're using effective component pieces isn't really part of the aesthetic itself. It's just like a necessary component to work as a pop song. Um, whereas like now the mode of which it works, which is like very different from how a normal punchy snare would, is part of the aesthetic. And that this this is integration between function function and aesthetic that is like. Not, of course not unique and like this is the whole point of drawing from dance music because that's an entire discipline and, and genre of like family of genres which are like utterly practiced in doing exactly this it's like constructing aesthetic out of the functional elements but that like it meant I could tell at least that NCT were thinking about this and it's become their staple um, mm -hmm. which is to like Instead of elements merely being functional, they are also like the distinctive things about the track. So there are a bunch of instances, like um, the first NCT 127 single is Fire Truck, which is another track with an incredibly distinctive snare drum. Which is more of a snap, like a like a wooden clack sound. Um, I'm just thinking of like one of those, I don't know, you know those like wooden blocks with a hinge in them that you can like whip together make a snap noise yeah um and then again later on simon says which is a much later ncd 127 track which going by the demos was aping a lot of british grime um and has one of the most like pointillistic like brutal and tight snares i've ever heard and again like you do that in order to have impact and get the snare out of the way the other other elements of the track but it becomes like crucial for it to like indicating what the tonality of the song itself is like. Yeah, Simon says, hurry up, buddy, up, no, let it fly, flip the munchers and get there, hang it, George, and that's on the hands up, to the hands up, hands it up, zoom it, get it, shut up, young and fuck, get it, die, with the ninja, and this is something that just like, again, like, K-pop's not meant to do this. Occasionally you come up with like incredible snares in K-pop. Um, Shiny Sherlock happens to be one of them that like has always stuck in my mind. Um, Sherlock has 
secretly one of the best snappy I, I think of this more in the mould of like 80s gated reverb beat snares um, not that this is actual gated reverb snare but the thing that's impressive about it is that it's so like spacious and decay and like big and like bullshy in a sense um, the, 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 these sorts of snares have been littered throughout like K-pop history but it felt like with um, like encoded into the DNA of NCT is the idea that like we really need to stop taking certain elements of pop form for granted. We start to need to need to consider what sort of like aesthetic tools that we're like seeding by being normal in the in our pop music form, and um, what opportunities we can claw back from um, making proper use of them, which is just really exciting. Where does that get you? So where does this get us? Um, <sighs> I mean, obviously, also, it's worth mentioning that, like, with this new focus that NCT production has, I think, on, as you said, the, like, previously kind of overlooked elements of a pop song, that filters back through to their other groups. Um, mm. But what's interesting about it, I think, especially in the context of The Seventh Sense, is that they they have never produced another track like The Seventh Sense since. Yeah, they've taken elements and ideas that have cropped up in it. But they've never committed to producing another anti-climax pop song. They've never committed to producing another song that is this relentlessly skeletal, this relentlessly minimalist. There have been like tracks that are more or less in this direction, but like none of them are even in its ballpark. To be fair, um, and and even like the 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 things that it's pulling from, like cloud rap, that kind of moodiness, that kind of. Um, and that, like, I think, in a, in a way, it's interesting to me because, like, for me, a lot of the song hinges on Taeyong and Mark's rap, like, the tone of their voices. Um, and again, like, I think we offhandedly mentioned that Shotaro has covered for Taeyong in live performances of The Seventh Sense when uh, Taeyong was injured. And it, to me, like, that is a very different song. Mm-hmm. Because Shotaro's doing Taeyong's parts. Um, and that's the other thing I think is... The reason why I argued for us to pick The Seventh Sense as our NCT song, even though, as I just said, they don't do anything like it ever again, is that I think it really exemplifies the degree to which, like... The, the sheer ambition of the project coupled with the sheer, I think, luck that SM had in finding and assembling this group of people. Um, like, Taeyong does not sound anything like any other rapper cultivated by SM. Or any other vocalist. Like, he sings sometimes. He has a really, really unique timbre. And, like, unique vocal timbres in their vocalist is nothing new. But all of their rappers sound really similar. Um, you'll notice this with Sehun. You'll notice this with Minho. Um... All like a lot of SM's like previous male rappers are schooled to have like very similar, I feel like, diction and flow and so and like Tan is different. I don't know enough about rap to actually <laughs> verbalize the difference, but it's there. I think it's also more noticeable in the newer kind of NCT rappers. Especially yeah. Shotaro again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like the... even Yang Yang, who's Wavy's rapper, I think 
is very much an quote unquote like SM traditionalist rapper. Like he doesn't. Yeah, I think technically he's just better than the older generation. I think in that case. Right. But, um, right. The, the the I'm trying to think like drawing from like how what vocabulary would I use for Taeyong? So Mark is like a very prototypical old school rapper in that like he is like I, some of the difficulty comes in like when you talk about diction, it's very hard to talk about diction in a foreign language. Mark occasionally raps in English and seems to like swallow a lot of his diction because I think he's been trained to rap in Korean and there are just like like phonological dif- differences between the languages mm-hmm. that mean that like knowledge of how to rap in Korean is not knowledge of how to rap in English. They certainly aren't like they're transferable skills, but they're not identical skills. Um, Mark is very much someone who is like all about flow and rhythm and pace. Um, mm-hmm. He is some of the most control over his pace and like flexibility that I've ever seen out of a of a rapper uh, in K-pop at least. The 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 like case in point for me is this is the the cherry bomb verse that he just absolutely blows out the water. Again, another another Mark verse that goes on double the length that you expect it to because they just can lean on him so hard. But the first half of it is this like long meandering like wiggly verse that eventually just sort of like finds and latches onto the beat and then starts like rapid firing on top of it. And then Taeyong, by contrast, like he hasn't got Mark's effortlessness in terms of rhythm. What he does have is a vocal tone, like a, a, it, the, his rap voice sits so low in his chest that he just feels so much more composed and like directed and like aggressive with the way he delivers his stuff. Like when I hear Mino or Chanyol and um, Sehin rap, a lot of the time I feel like they're needing to shout to sound like they're being effective. Whereas mm-hmm. Taeyong has the ability to like growl and use power that comes from a much deeper, much more like subtle place. Which is um, why his verse in Tiger Inside on Super M slaps so hard. <laughs> yes. Um, anytime he gets asked to use vocal fry, again, that's another thing that uh, Cherry Bomb is famous for, is yeah. that you are... Not to the not to the extent of Limitless. Oh, sorry. I am now thinking Limitless. So, no, Limitless. Right. Limitless is the infamous bar, which yeah. was in our season one intro music. Yes. Oh. So if you're wondering where that came from, that's Teo. <laughs> Taeyeon making vocal fry noises an in- integral part of his vocabulary, of his sonic vocabulary. Um, Delightful. But yeah, um, and then he's just like that combination of dexterity with his voice, even if it isn't like a rhythmic dexterity, it's suddenly a tonal and um, expressive dexterity as well as the way he moves, just means he's just, like, so compelling on stage to pay attention to. In a way that, like, literally no one they've ever had before is. Um, yeah. That's how I try and pass the rappers. I think given I've talked so much about Taeyong and his incredible moving skills, we need to talk about the dance. And I want to just, like, bring up, there is... There are antecedents to these sorts of tracks. There are antecedents to trap or hip-hop songs that are this moody and slow and like cool um and i say cool in both the like uh the the sort of like temperature sense in the like 
cool the way that cool is an adjective for cool jazz rather than cool and as in like in pop culture cool um that this like turned down simmering intense but subtle um and like some of the earliest bits of cloud rap that uh, I've like just been thinking about are Lil B and ASAP Rocky and then a bit later it's like uh Young Lean and Drain Gang people um the, there is a line that just like inevitably because this is a like a more like softer toned down kind of masculinity or at least an approach to like control and power that is more restrained as well as just like through the the fact that little B and ASAP Rocky is two eyes like cared deeply about fashion and presentation uh young thugs young thugs another you can add to this list that like gender becomes like a central objective interest and discussion and that there is an iconic line in the little B track I'm God which is let me just pull it up so I don't misquote it yeah, bro, I think I'm gay because I'm grinding in my tiny pants. Better than the only goon uh, n-word in these tiny pants, which is just like that's a certain attitude towards masculinity. But yeah, it's that's like one attitude to masculinity. It's when like quite consciously your aesthetic and your music like subvert the sort of like deliberate sense of aggression and power and control through those means, um, uh, through, through like assertiveness, then like people are going to naturally perceive it as like a lesser masculinity and that you need to back that up in some way or might attempt to, like sometimes you want to lean into it. And we have got to talk about the choreography, I think specifically in that frame, because this is one of the most stylish, controlled choreographies that SM have put together for a group. And I think specifically, it's one of the most feminine, um, like, uh, choreographies it's ever put together for a boy group. In terms of the body lines that it encourages, yeah. in terms of some of this, like, hand angles and movements in terms of the sorts of like willingness to make people be flexible and flow it's funny i w i've been watching the performance video a lot because this episode and i one of the first thoughts i had was like i would really like to see current 2021 shiny take a crack at this yeah which i think is like one of the only other groups they had that might be able to do it and that's really largely because key and timon exist yeah, um, and they are. This is like an indication of the sorts of like breadth and of like aesthetic I, rewiring that's happening on the fly here. Like, right. But I think it's also worth mentioning that like Shiny are at that stage, Timon especially at that stage, after like over a decade of working in the industry and fighting to have creative control of their own projects. Yeah, exactly. We you hear a lot, particularly from Timon. We'll come onto this in a very yeah. near episode talking about like the need to express genderlessness or gender fluidity or like gender nonconformity through dance and like that's an aspect of them them as a performer in his like, solo work yeah yeah without without like meaning to be a comment on their like gender identity or selves that like just a way of presenting themselves as an effective and impressive pop performer is through like manipulating and playing with gender and that, that was mm -hmm. something that could only be introduced once like they were eight years into their career already established as a solo artist and capable of like convincing the people around them that this was a safe but also like 
productive and exciting direction to take their performance in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for 10 minutes, turned turn out to be like, that is his not only unique selling point, but that is like what sets him apart from pretty much everyone else in the industry. It's like the ability to like use body control to do all this expressive work, which is obviously really gendered. But then mm-hmm. also like NCT is sort of coming out of nowhere and attempting to do something not identical, but remarkably similar in terms of this is not a group with creative control over their own output. Especially not at the stage. It's their debut. Their debut is so controlled. Yeah. Um, This is a group that is entirely put together, selected for the aesthetic and vibe that this whole systematic project is aiming for. And the Mm. choreography that they've decided to use for that. And like, I think specifically forefronted, I think 10 is added to this group specifically to enable this choreography to work. Because I'm like, I trust that Taeyong would excel and Mark to a, to a significant extent would excel at this anyway and that you could like get Doyoung and Jaehyun who are very, very competent dancers if not quite special mm-hmm. ones to that level. But that Ten is someone who is in the same mold as Ten and exceptionally talented at doing this kind of like controlled, flexible, like, mm-hmm. m- like, m- uh, rest- but, like this combination. You know who rest- else would be good at it if they let him? Win-win. <laughs> <laughs> Justice for Dong Sucheon. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, you <coughs> Sorry, wanna... Winman has a background in classical Chinese dance, which is unique. But yeah. I digress. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'm still going to throw their like a rainbow throw... lovely dance cover in there because it's amazing. Yeah, you just but, need the Billy Irish yeah. thing in there. Um, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, specifically here that like. Ten is someone who can sell this mode of like interpreting this dance. Like, I could imagine different artists with this dance trying to do something much more athletic. And no, that's deliberately not the direction they go in. Again, the Produce 101, the Produce 101 example is a really good uh, comparison because again, one group did balls, which is much more athletic, much more aggressive, much more macho, really. Like they're mm-hmm. literally wearing like military style uniforms. Um, and then the second group is doing this and they're struggling so hard. Yeah. Training, like I've heard dancers describe it as groove, this ability to like feel a rhythm through your body in such a way that it doesn't start to become like mechanical segmented movements, that it like flows one into the other, that you can maintain like a softness of form at the same time as performing very specific, very directed movement. It's something that just like you watch Teo and Ten and they're just like, they're extraordinary at it. They have this sort of like, ease with which they can produce like complex and fluid shapes and sometimes they need to snap like bits of this chorus are quite snappy but then you get like uh like the post choruses which are just like they just flow in extraordinary ways um there are the 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 sort of iconic moment for me is the outro dance which is the 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 mark is Two minutes forty. Well, for me, for for me, there are two parts. We land on the same one. The, no, no, no. The outro, but for me, it's the intro. It's that introductory formation. Oh yeah, intro formation, stunningly good. Um, watch it again. Again, combination of like speed uh, and precision in like active movement, but also displaying it with ease. And then you've got mm-hmm. ten at the back of this formation, who's just got the most incredible body shape just maintaining this sort of like width and like clean, like cleanness of line, even when it's like bizarrely angular. Um, mm-hmm. 
oh. he's just so compelling to watch. Um, and then I would chuck it forward to two, uh, two minutes thirty-five. Mm-hmm. This is in the performance video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yep, yep. The the wave. Um, and, and that that sequence of movements, which goes, um, on the like the second half of Taeyong's phrase, body, uh, which is pop up to a pop up to one leg body uh rolling arm both arms in different directions and foot hold pop out to a super wide cross stance flip your body backwards facing backwards and then the little hand wave which is just a combination and sequence of movement which is so stylish so effortless again requires that like i'm not gonna say athleticism acquires a sort of dynamism and snappiness, but also just the ability to like display an ease and stylishness and like control. And obviously that's an incredibly gendered movement. The sort of sense of control here is just utterly remarkable. Um, so that's us nerding out about the performance. Like the bottom line is they don't come back to this. Just as much as they don't come back to the aesthetic of the song, they seem really unwilling to come back to this kind of choreography because it seems so risky. It seems so like, out the wheelhouse of everything they're like really, really capable of doing on a routine basis. Like something seems special about this track and that never seems to have been recaptured in the same way. Genuinely, I'm like the SM choreo that I feel is closest to this post the seventh sense is like Shiny's Good Evening. Yeah. I mean, when was Timmons move? Uh, that's a year later. And that's in an entirely different context, given that it's choreographed for a specific dancer, by a dance partner, um, with this is like the central intentionality. The only other time, and again, it's the same, uh, Koharu is the collaborator that Temin used for Move, same collaborator mm-hmm. that Shiny used for Good Evening. And so the, mm-hmm. one of the few times that they like deliberately incorporated the sense of ease and like fluidity into the main part of the choreography because it suited the tone and emotional content of what they wanted to do in the very in of like the, the unique times of the performance they were aiming for. We will be talking about um, 2017, 18 era shiny at some point soon. But yeah. Sorry, now I'm just trying to search up uh, the Seven Senses choreography for because shit kings. Yeah. Who the hell are they? They did EXO's Lotto, EXO's Coming Over, NCTU The Seventh Sense, Chinese DXDXD, Pentagon, I think it's a Japanese release, and Winner's Hello. There we go. Um, Prior, before that, they did Shiny Lucky Star, Super Junior Spy, SM Rookies, a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like mean, again, I- like everything else is so... Well, at least the K-pop content that I've actually seen of them is mm-hmm. really different. EXO's yeah. Love Me Right, like, is completely different. Like, for K-pop, they certainly haven't done anything on the level of the Seventh Sense. No, certainly. It's- I mean, I think the uh, the one element that I could recognize is that, like, if they did a lot of NTT, sorry, SM Rookie stuff, at least they know who they're choreogra- choreographing for when they come to the Seventh Sense. Right they at least have the, that that level of insight. But at a basic level, like, no, Lotto is a, a choreography I don't think I actually like that much. 
Um, let me see if I can remember it. Um, let me. I'm watching uh, DxDxD right now, which is one of their Japanese releases. Yeah, yeah, one of it's one of the first uh, Japanese language Shenny releases I remember. Yeah, Lotto was one where like it's incredibly built around a point move that I don't think is particularly expressive or impressive. So I'm like, fine, cool. This is normal K-pop stock choreography, and this isn't showing me anything remarkable. Um, interestingly, like if there is some sort of, I think about Boss, and like you're entirely right. It is way more athletic, but like if there is one thing that NCT has done, it's make athleticism groovy in a way that most groups do not. Like I think about groups like Stray Kids, ATs, Ace, and they are incredibly impressive with how athletic they are, but they don't frequently temper that athleticism. Like we talked about Stray Kids in our end of year episode and that like the, it was surprising when they went so showchini and um, musical theater, because mm-hmm. it required a sort of like flamboyance that then needs to be constrained within like athleticism. But, like, that's not what they're doing. It's not that there is, like, a sort of looseness that then they get snapped back in. It's that they have found ways to make, um, ath- like, big, powerful athletic movements groovy. And I think Make-A-Wish might be the, the most recent uh, of the NCT 2020 project. Might be the the one that, like, expresses it most articulately for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Make-A-Wish is built off both a couple of um let me just remind myself what the yeah it's built off this sort of like bounciness this sort of like agitation which is incredibly not like the smoothness of um seventh sense but it does uh, mean that they the what what they end up doing with it though is using this to transition really fluidly between formations to spin the thing around and to like hide all the athletic powerful stuff with this sort of veneer of like like light on its feet carefulness um mm-hmm. and that like the, the 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 case in point for that is the the head bobble shuffle thing at the end of the first chorus where shotaro like that's shotaro's coming out moment moment is like right, right showing quite how exceptional his body control is yeah yeah there is no single combination of moves that reminds me of nctu and aesthetic quite as much as the end the sort of point movement at the end of make a wish which is this wide arm sweep which comes back to, to arms like level in front of the uh, front of each of them, which then settles in to the head bobble side to side, which is like this combination of control and like <laughs> I'm not going to say athleticism. This isn't an athletic movement. It's meant to be a sort of like it's a power move. It's a stunt move. Um, but yeah, just this like, is also just a very different song. Yeah, it's an incredibly different song. They're right. not aiming for the same kind of tone. Um, but that, like, the sorts of sense of groove that comes out of Seven Sense just, like, appears in bits and pieces. Where, like, the flip side is you get choreography like Limitless, which is just, like, not that at all. Not that whatsoever. Um, it is entirely about power and about athleticism and, like, snap. Which is an interesting mode, and they can do it really well. But that's also not what makes them unique and compelling, in my eyes at least. 
Yeah. So what we're saying is not only did SM lock into some of the best rappers of their generation and some of the best vocal talents, they also are in possession of one of Korea's, uh, K-pop's greatest dance crew. Yeah. And yeah. and this is the thing, like, try, trying to triangulate the... um. <sighs> trying to triangulate all the different pieces, like, that's a losing game. Like, I don't think there are tracks that you could simply hand to this collection of talent and be like this will sell you effectively to the world. Both because like what marks them out as remarkable is not the stuff that marks them out as saleable. Like that's, they're not the same skills. It's also like um, impossible to exemplify all of them at once. Like you cannot be powerful. You cannot be um, like vocally adventurous in the same moment as you are like careful and soft and like, fluid with your movement like those aren't compatible aesthetics or at least if they are then like we're waiting to see what that looks like we simply haven't yet mm -hmm. um and this is like the like ultimate promise of nct is like the capacity that they have in this group is just off the fucking chain and then we get glimpses of like several different modes that they could slide into near effortlessly and blow the doors off everyone else who's doing it like do you want to do a post-shiny, bright pop song? Touch. It's perfect. You want a post-exo, like, club banger? Superhuman. Pretty much perfect. Mm -hmm. You want a sort of, like, hip-hop-y R&B track? Uh, for me, at least, uh, Make a Wish. Pretty near perfect. Yeah. You want a sort of, like, smash em up hip-hop track? They've got, like, five. I think Cherry Bomb's the best of them. Um, yeah. Near perfect. Um, <laughs> like... Obviously, different parts of the group are attempting to do different things at any given moment in time. But, like, wow, when they nail the combination for the specific aesthetic end that they're aiming for, it's some of the best pop music I've ever heard. Like, three of those tracks there, like, Touch, Superhuman, Seventh Sense, are like, those are the three I'd pick out as, like, they are among the very best pop things I've heard all decade. And I just wish, <laughs> I wish there was some semblance of coherence about that. I wish there was any reliability towards it because yeah. I think we were, again, we were talking about this in the tracks of the year roundup that like, firstly, for me, they've only ever misstepped once. Mm, yeah. And even that misstep was fascinating. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can go listen to that podcast. I'm not going to rehash it. <laughs> but, um, but like, yeah, even again, for all the things I dislike about Punch, like that opening that intro, the choreo of it, is really good. <sighs> we are endlessly confounded by this group. Uh, like, yeah. This is what makes it so hard. It's so hard to talk about NCT because it's impossible to talk about them without mentioning, like, the utter mess that they are set up to be. Um, the, the, like, endless, like, peaks and also lingering sense that Maybe there was an alternate universe version of all of them together that would have been, that maybe might not have hit the same peaks, but might have smoothed out some of their output. Certainly would be a lot easier to understand. Yeah. I think, like, I am personally gratified by the fact that it seems that they are finally ascendant, but it took so long. It took so like, damn long. Like, I'll say, like, NCT 2020's Resonance, which is a good album, 
did really well sales wise. Um, Make a Wish was, I think, one of the like most like fastest viewed videos in SM Entertainment uh, history. But it took them so long to get there, and I always feel like bad. Yeah, for I mean, that. I mean, the central thing is like they didn't realize quite how effectively they could just do the thing of finding the songs that fit the performers and put the performers who fit the song in together. Just do the thing. Do the thing that you could always do with this style of group, which they've been again, so reluctant this, to like, do. This constant feeling for me that every time it goes off, it's luck. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel planned or intentional. It's just that they have so many good performers that eventually one of them will be absolutely stunning and incredible. And in fact, more often than not, because again, the group in itself has just so much talent and they are so good at what they do. It's just, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the central point we wanted to start with was like, what makes a K-pop group a K-pop group? Like, we're we're so obsessed with the um the construction of these like fixed entities in our minds because they give us sort of like both like historical but also aesthetic unity to the things that fall under that label. Even as much as like you can tell that like the products themselves are like uh, in some way related, but they are like produced for different ends at different moments, like. There is massive discontinuity between what any single cable group will do from year one to year seven. And like in the cases where there isn't, I'm thinking of a group like Blackpink here, then like the, the, the group and the aesthetic like start to combine and like that's a powerful signifier even more so than like tracking the lineage. Like if there is content to the name, then that's an important part of the way you parse the group. Um, if there is not content, but there is a lineage, then that's part of how you tell the story of the group at the very least. And NCT seem to like challenge every single mode of attempting to storytell K-pop because they refuse to do the basic things that you want a K-pop group to do, which is have something to do aesthetically and and like member-wise, like visually, like the people you are looking at on the stage just simply might not be the same week one to week eight of watching them promote. And that's just not the thing you're meant to be doing. It's so like, confounding. Because I've been thinking also of like, we joke that they're a 23 member group, but functionally really you get to know them as we did when we were listing them all out, you get to know them as the subgroups, but then the subgroups keep changing. And I'm thinking of like other, you know, uh, K-pop groups that have infamously large uh, member counts like Luna, that's a big one, but they break them up into stable subunits that yeah. don't switch around, so you actually get to know them. I'm thinking about uh, Seventeen, which, 17 despite the name, have 13 members. <laughs> yeah. Important caveat. Um, but, like, but again, like, 17 members get split up into three stable subgroups, one on... Vo and, like, actually makes it really easy because one is rap focus, one's dance focus, and one's vocal performance. That's literally what they're called. Um, and, and like in later years, they they switch it up. But I mean, it just makes parsing them so much more the like accessible and coherent. And that's just like I, if you're not attempting to make your supergroup like readable to the world, then what the hell are you trying to do with it? Um, and I think it's also really telling that um, as we've said, like NCT choreography is frequently stunning. I really love it. Um, they're also such such good performers. They just pull off these moves with the plum. But the same year that gave us Make a Wish. Uh, which is an incredible song. We love it very much. Also gave us like 
every time they do like a big year-end project where they're all everyone's on an album they also do a every single member dance performance and they're all bad yeah they haven't figured out how to actually use the size of the group yet which is remarkable for having spent five years with 20 what between 18 and 23 members at their disposal it's just ludicrous they haven't clocked on that you can do impressive things with large numbers of people specific to having large numbers of people that make it again black on black is very bland resonance is actively bad yeah like this is part of like i said this with the best will in the world but like just watch a 17 uh, choreography and look at how they make such a large number of people coherent visually like parse them out in space in a way that is readable to the audience and just like no sm is like very determinedly going to stick them in diagonal lines We'll put um, them in a big V, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big V or it's staggered lines. And that is it. That's mm-hmm. all they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it makes it impossible mm-hmm. to see the relation between the members. It's, it certainly isn't any meaningful interaction. It isn't any meaningful use of the capacities you have as a group. So yeah, like this is NCT confounding us because we think they're probably the most interesting group in K-pop right now. And also the most like underachieving relative to capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Which is remarkable to say at the same time as like their last big single got uh, Make a Wish is sitting on 165 million views in five months. Like that went big, like properly, properly big. Like one of the probably 10 or so best singles of the biggest singles of the year. And it still doesn't feel like they've landed. It still doesn't feel like they know who they are or know how to make people understand who they are. Mm hmm. Which, again, like, it's telling that one of our favorite songs they've ever produced was the first one, which they've never done again. No. Good. <laughs> and likely never will. Like, let's be honest here. Yeah. I, I, every single year, I'm like, oh, I just want them to make the Seventh Sense again. And they won't. They will not. They will make something else confounding and interesting that is just different. <sighs> NCT, why do you bully us like this? It's a meme. <laughs> <sighs> oh, okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Question mark <laughs> on this romp through our complicated feelings towards NCT. But yeah, this is the the start of a start of a, a long um how would we put it? Uh, an investigation and a dig into all the sorts of thematic and like conceptual aspects that put uh that makes make us make sense of our love of k-pop and we're going to touch on things beyond the idea of the group itself beyond cultural technology and hopefully do some good like critical analysis along the way i'm really really excited about this series yeah there are some Mm. exciting things lined up yeah (sighs) oh all right that'll do it for this episode then um as always you can find us at stan ontology on twitter get in touch with us there send us your questions send us your impressions tell us how long it took for you to realize that all the nct's were one thing and that nctu actually keeps changing and it's fine or, or not <laughs> fine but like how long it took for you to accept that i haven't emotionally <laughs> accepted that so you know no all right <sighs> i think we'll leave you there with that goodbye <laughs> <laughs>